0: Acts 30 verses 1 through 10. These are God's words. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width. It shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, And its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all round. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the Ark of the Testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the Testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight... You shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before Yahweh throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. An Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year, with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to Yahweh. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. The incense altar was one of the articles, one of the furnishings of the tabernacle that had great privilege of place. We'll hear about that in a moment, but you can probably see and already and still have that ringing in your ears and uh, turning over in your mind the location of it uh, and uh, and the way that even that that location was described. Um, so it has privilege of place in the tabernacle, and yet it's a little bit out of place in the sequence of the instructions for building the tabernacle isn 't it uh, because the Lord gave us in uh, in direct succession several of the articles including the the ark first of all that is in the holy of Holies and then the table and uh, and the lampstand that uh, is in the holy place and uh, and he gave us the uh, the bronze altar that is outside and, and all of the uh, all of the different Uh, coverings and veils and screens for doorways and uh, we thought we had left the construction behind and moved on to garments for the priests and the ordination of the priests. And suddenly we're we're back having a new piece of uh, tabernacle furnishing constructed. Uh, And um, we don't want to do like those who Study the scriptures completely apart from faith altogether. Uh, who say, "Aha! This is proof that uh, a later redactor has uh, cobbled together these things and made up most of it as he went along." And uh, you know, apparently the later redactor is uh, is so silly and and stupid that he didn't know where to put uh, this to make his uh, his uh, account of Exodus. Uh, uh, free flowing, and we don't want to be those who uh, giving little uh, effort, though trusting God that this is His word. Uh, notice that there's something that seems out of place, and just kind of shrug our shoulders and keep going, rather than seeing that the Lord here wants to draw our attention to something. There's something in the context, there's something in the order uh, that He wishes for us to see, and. Uh, what we see when we ask the question why here uh, is that uh, that provokes the question where is here and it's coming immediately upon uh, the instruction of the daily uh, offerings the lamb in the morning and the lamb in the evening uh, that uh, which was a conclusion of sorts uh, for the ordination and consecration of both the priests and the tabernacle, uh, and so we're coming now uh, to the to the furnishing of the or the construction of the altar of incense, uh, coming immediately in the context of the uh, the daily and continual ministry of the high priest, and that corresponds, doesn't it, to how he describes the purpose of the altar of incense in uh, verses seven through ten. Uh, That there is not only emphasis in the context, but even within the passage uh, on the action that is being taken in here, taken here. And when he comes to that action, it too corresponds to the morning and evening sacrifice of the morning and evening lamb that would be offered continually, like we heard at the end of chapter 29. In fact, he doesn't just give us the morning and evening timestamp, as it were, uh, for the uh, burning of incense or the renewal of the incense that is burning on the altar of incense, but he attaches it to a third thing that is done, morning and evening, in the tending of the lamps. And so the Lord has given us uh, enough data, uh, both in what it immediately flows from uh, and Uh, Also, in how what is in these 10 verses corresponds to what it immediately flows from, uh, that we're able to see, aha. He's emphasizing to us the priestly activity that takes place on this incense altar. He's emphasizing to us the continuality, continualness or perpetuity, how constantly the morning and evening continuality uh, is how what we landed on in the outline, the morning and evening continuality of that pri- priestly activity. Uh, and so we'll consider these, uh, these 10 verses uh, briefly under those three heads. First, the privilege of place that it does have, um, and then the emphasis upon the priestly activity, and then the emphasis on the continuality. Uh, he describes it Uh, to us, and then he tells us where to put it, in particular in verse 6. You shall put it before the veil, in front of the veil, near the veil, and facing the veil. All of those ideas are contained in uh, this language of before the veil. But it's not just before the veil. He tells us, and we already know. Uh, And children, as is often the case with you and your mom or your dad, and they already know that you know something, uh, but either they know that you are also forgetful, or they want to emphasize to you the importance. They repeat the thing that you know. And so he rehearses not just the veil that, uh, that the, the altar of incense is put right in front of, uh, but wants us to connect that. As he says, he says, put it before the veil. Where's the veil? It's before the ark. The box, what's in the box? The Ark of the Testimony. Where is, where is this veil? It's not just before the Ark of the Testimony. It's before the mercy seat that is over the testimony. That atonement cover, that lid upon which the blood from the day of atonement would come. And we hear now in this passage that there's going to be a stop on the way to the mercy seat. That there's going to be blood put on the horns of this incense altar outside the veil before the blood is brought through the veil to be put on the atonement cover. But even more directly to the point where I will meet with you. And this connects us back to chapter 29 as well, because the consecration of the tabernacle is It was for the purpose of God being in the midst of his people and his people being safe in his midst and even God being as a father to them, giving them his Torah, giving them his fatherly instruction. In verse 42 of the previous chapter, just a couple of verses before our passage begins, this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak with you. And now we find that God is meeting not just at the door, but in the Holy of Holies, and not just in the Holy of Holies, but also right outside the veil. The whole thing, the whole place, he's meeting with them. In this particular case, he's not meeting to speak, but to hear, and we'll get to that in a moment. So as privilege of place, it's right in front of the veil, right in front of the testimony, right in front of the mercy seat, but more to the point, right where the Lord will meet with his people. And it has this kind of hybrid construction when we think of the different things that have been made, as he starts out saying an altar. And so we have in our mind, having come through already the other pieces of furniture and and this too allows us to make another connection because if, if he had put it in order as he worked his way out of the Holy of Holies, we would hear about the altar of incense first and then the bronze altar second. But the way that the Holy Spirit has given this to us, we we hear about the bronze altar first, the altar of burnt offering and sacrifice first. And we hear an altar. And we, hear, and we start to think uh, more atonement for sin but it's not an altar for burnt offerings. In fact, he forbids burnt offerings. And he forbids drink offerings on it. It's an altar for incense and not just any incense. The incense of which he gives the particular recipe and no other incense at all. Uh, and so it's an altar, but it's not just an uh, It's not just altar-ish, although it is an altar, so we don't want to say ish too strongly there. But it's also arkish, isn't it? It's also table-ish. Because it has the same box-like construction as the ark. It's a little bit smaller. Uh, And as the table, it's a little bit smaller than the table. And the table wasn't exactly a square. But it's overlaid with gold. With the rings of gold. The poles of gold. And so it is, as it were, uh, it has... Features of the altar that is on the outside—it's—it's it's got the horns, uh, similarly, and things are going to be burned uh, on it, uh, but it's incense that is burned on it. It's got features of the ark, so it's—it's uh, it's a unique piece. It has privilege of place, uh, and the privilege of place, and the unique in in the tabernacle, and then the uniqueness of place in the account draws our attention then, especially to this priestly activity and this morning and evening continuality that we heard about. First, the priestly activity. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it. When Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before Yahweh throughout your generations. And then he goes on to forbid any other incense or any other use. And, uh, and then to describe Aaron making atonement for it once a year, that it is most holy to Yahweh. But because of where we get this in the passage, we remember what the high priest is wearing and what's on his garments. And that as he goes in there, and it's Aaron, it's not his sons who does this, it's Aaron. It's the one of the priests that has the names of the people on them, the tribes on them, on his shoulders, but also over his chest and the pouch. Where are the umim and the thumim, which the people would use by way of their high priest to ask God to give the right answer. God would give the right answer If we can borrow from Hebrews chapter 4, it is the coming before the face of the throne to seek, to obtain, not seek, it's obtain, uh, to find mercy and to obtain help in their time of need. And so that's what the priest is doing other passages shed some light on uh, what this incense is for. These, uh, these were hours of prayer in particular. You remember Zachariah, uh, John the baptizer's daddy, when uh, it was his turn to go in and, uh, and burn the incense, and it was the hour of prayer, and he prolonged his time in there. He didn't keep the clock as regular as some of the other priests had. Uh, and Daniel... Uh, Even in his old age, not for for 60, 70 years almost, almost 70, not quite, not having been in Jerusalem or uh, had access to the time of the gathering for the morning and evening sacrifices, but still keeping the hours of prayer. And by that time, of course, long since, temple gone, ark gone incense altar gone and yet it was the hour of the morning and evening sacrifice and for Daniel that was the hour of prayer so regular even in his old age so instilled in him by his hope in the Christ to come and the God who hears prayers through the sacrifice of that Christ that when Babylon was gone and Persia uh, was was around Uh, the jealous Persian governors knew that if they wanted to get Daniel, they could do it using that hour of prayer. We see in Revelation 8, verses 3 and 4, what incense represents. Not that there's bowls and herbs and burning of herbs uh, in glory, but that it is the prayers of the saints That just as we heard this morning that what Paul does in Corinth matters because God has planned, Christ has planned that what he was going to do in Corinth would be done during those 18 months and it would be done through the ministry of Paul. And what you do, dear Christian, matters. As we heard this morning, the works that you have been given to, to walk in, no one else is going to do them. No one else can do them. They've been appointed to you. And so the, the sovereign providence and purpose of God establishes the necessity of your duty. It is not to be abused by your flesh and say, well, if God's going to accomplish all his will anyway, I guess what I do isn't important. And where your praying actually matters in glory, doesn't it? Isn't that how Revelation 8, 3 and 4 uses this? That it's not just the saints in heaven, but the saints on earth. The incense literally, intentionally goes up. And we join whenever we come to pray. We join the Lord Jesus already interceding for us. We join the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us. We join, probably, if they're awake, those 60-year-old and up true widows we heard about in 1 Timothy 5 who are praying. We join perhaps our elders who who have been divested of the diaconal ministry so that they can give more time to prayer. We join the saints in glory who are praying. And the Spirit uh, shows it to John with this picture of the bowls of incense that are the prayers of the saints. How marvelous that we, in our union with Christ, who is our anchor and forerunner there, may have that participation in the ministry of heaven. And when we are crying out and desperate in the Psalm 141, verse 1 way, I cry to you, make haste to me, give ear to my voice. When I cry out to you, we are encouraged by the fact of a acacia box overlaid with gold in a particular place, in a particular tent, and later in a temple, that God hears the prayers of his people and he is pleased with them for the sake of the atoning sacrifice whose blood was spilled on the other altar. And when we have those Psalm 141, verse 1, desperation, We can come with the Psalm 141, verse 2, confidence and plea. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hands, as the evening sacrifice. I am here because you have commanded it, Lord. And I am here through the sacrifice that you have commanded and the sacrifice that I know will atone and commend my prayer to you. So this is glorious priestly activity. Do you know that you need the atonement of Jesus and the righteousness and the intercession, the priestly ministry of Jesus for your prayers to be pleasing to God? That's what makes your prayers pleasing to God. Yes, you should pray according to his will. You should pray according to his word. But there are many who opened their mouths and fought in their hearts words that corresponded to scripture. But because they came apart from the righteousness of Jesus and they came in not in the repentance which glows with the faith that clings to Christ who commends our prayers. But in unrepentance it showed that there was no faith and no Christ and no atonement, no common con- commendation. And the Scripture warns in many places that prayer to God apart from Christ is offensive to him. He does not need or want our religious activity. And so Isaiah 1, 14 through 15, if you have an outline, you you have the passages there. We won't take the time to visit them all. Isaiah 59, 1 through 3. Micah 3, verse 4. Psalm 66, verse 19. Proverbs 28, verse 9. Our prayers are actually offensive to God apart from Jesus. But he puts an incense altar And he commands it to be attended by a priest who bears the names of his people. And he makes the altar in the shape of the altar for burnt offering and for sin offering and for peace offering that's outside. And what happens there? There's a pleasing aroma. Sweet incense that goes up continually before God and he comes to us by way of the incense altar, by way of the priest's activity, and now by way of our great high priest's continual activity. And he says, no, you don't deserve to call upon my name, and you do deserve for me to hate your prayers. But all that you deserved was expended on the altar of Calvary, and the only altar that remains for you to visit is the throne where Jesus is, the throne of grace, and what God hears from His people that comes through Christ, it pleases Him. Not because you prayed well enough. Not because you meant it well enough. Not because you were asking for the right thing. He's given you His Spirit to intercede for you. First of all, to help you. Because you don't know what to pray for as you ought. It's not just that you don't know How you ought to pray. We don't know what to pray for in the first place. And whatever we do pray for, then we don't know how to pray for it rightly. And so the Spirit helps us and He conforms us to Christ, but He also intercedes for us. And we can pray coming to God through Jesus Christ with complete liberty. The once-for-all effective sacrifice has been spilled. Our high priest has taken up residence in the Holy of Holies. And as our prayers grow up, as our prayers go up, they are pleasing to God. They are sweet to him with the scent, not of a formula on earth. But to borrow an image from a very infinite, an infinitely lower and worse thing with the scent of his son. You remember Isaac and wanting to hear a request and wanting to answer that request. And he thinks it's Esau because he's sinning against God too, that whole thing's a mess. But Jacob comes in. And Isaac at this point is indulgent in pleasure and and praise God for his patience. He's moved by food, but he's moved at the last by the smell. He's not sure, he's not sure, he's not sure. And Jacob comes near and he says, ah, the smell of my son. And the incense, on the incense altar in in Israel, it wasn't about a formula. We're not going to have... Yeah, you know, some kind of Indiana Jones national treasure hunt for the right incense formula. Yeah, you know, and then you publish it in, in a book and sell a few million copies and you know, make Crossway happy or whatever. The incense formula was about the fact that only God could provide the smell of his son, his son himself, to be the one who makes our prayers pleasing in heaven and sweet in heaven. And we can come like a confident child to his daddy who loves him and loves to hear him and already knows what he's going to do for him. And it's, all, it's even better than what the little boy is going to ask for. But he still loves to hear his son ask. The request itself pleases Daddy. And in Jesus Christ, our praying itself pleases God. Because he's worshipped not just as the one who meets with us to speak with us. Verse 42 of uh, of chapter 29. He's worshipped as the one who meets with us to hear us. All those stupid, wicked idols of man. They have lips, but they can't speak. The living God meets with us to speak with us. They have ears, but they can't hear. The living God meets with us to listen to us. They have hands, but they can't do anything. The living God is able to do all his holy will. His arm is not shortened. His hand is not weakened. And so there's this emphasis upon his priestly activity. And in the last place, there's the emphasis upon the morning and evening continuality. There's, uh, there's this triplet here. Wherever there's a triplet, there's, uh, there's strong uh, emphasis. You have the lamb that is offered in the morning uh, in verse 39 and the lamb that is offered at the twilight in verse 41. And uh, as we come morning and evening to God, we don't sacrifice lambs. Anymore, whether you're talking about the holy convocation that is the Lord's Day, the holy assembly, the sort of thing that we are, uh, are doing here, or, or whether you're talking about the, the morning and evening family worship that was commanded, Deuteronomy 6, and would, be, would correspond to what was happening at the tabernacle, the sacrifices being offered, and you know that you're coming through the blood of the Lamb. Morning and evening in your home, day by day. Morning and evening in the assembly, week by week. And so our morning and evening worship too, it emphasizes to us, we have been atoned for, we have been made righteous, God dwells with us through the blood of the Lamb. Know that the Lord would so bless and help those who lead the family worship and those who are led in the family worship, that that's what they would know every morning and that's what they would know every evening. There's not just the offerings of the lambs, there's also the tending of the lamps. In the morning, he makes the lamp good. Uh, the, just to say it as literally as it's said in uh, in the original. In the morning, he makes the lamp good. And in the evening, he makes the lamp to rise up. Uh, and, you know, he's making sure everything is orderly after a nighttime of burning in the morning. And, um, in the evening, he's making sure that there's enough wick so that it's good and bright before he goes to bed. So it'll still be going when he comes in the morning but you remember the lamp the shining of the light and uh, and especially the golden light the heavenly light something that uh, was a uh, a representation on on earth of a great spiritual reality that would actually be pronounced upon them by the high priest remember in numbers chapter 6 uh, and the putting of the name of uh, of of God of Yahweh upon the children of Israel. You remember how He said, "The Lord bless you and keep you, and make His face to shine upon you." That lamp, that that lamp uh, indicates favor. Uh, it was uh, almost like a, it was someone took Eden. Remember, with the the tree and the flowers and the blossoms and the design and, and the, the fellowship and the favor of God that was lost from the garden, it's now been condensed into a lamp and planted in the holy place. And so not only the, the atonement for us and our righteousness before God morning and evening, but his favor towards us and our fellowship with him morning and evening the light of God's face shining upon us, and now the incense altar, our fellowship with God in His hearing us morning and evening. All all three of those things should be part of, uh, of our corporate assembly, morning and evening on the Lord's Day, and of your family's assemblies, morning and evening, every day, and of your own worship of God. I know we need it. I know I need it. I know you need it. To come through the atonement of Christ and know you are forgiven, you are righteous. To come with the light of God's face shining and know that he smiles upon you and works all things together for your everlasting good, that you would be conformed to the Son and enjoy God like Jesus enjoys God and that you would come knowing that God hears you that the heavens are not brass which are shut up to you, that your prayers that go up do not offend God like they would by right and in any other way except that you have come through Christ. And your prayer is unto the living God as sweet incense is in our nostrils. And how pleased he is with us. He wants us to know him as a God who continually hears us. And so when we are having the Psalm 141, verse 1 experience, I cry out to you, make haste to me, give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. One of the reasons we can give the verse 2 answer, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice is because he has spent our Christian life training us morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening. Through Jesus, my prayers are pleasing to God because there are moments in our lives where we can see ourselves too well. And we dread that our prayers might be offensive to God, that he might be refusing to hear us. That he's trained us through that repeated morning and evening participation with the continual intercession of our great high priest and glory. To say, let my prayer be set before you as incense and the lifting of my hands as evening sacrifice. And we remember that that cubit by cubit box outside the veil was just an earthly picture because our high priest now sits continually upon the throne and he always lives to intercede and he is able to save us to the uttermost and will by the power of his indestructible life and now there's a world of believers you say morning and evening who's morning and evening well now if believers are obeying the bible it literally is continuously isn't it He's covered the world with believers and their prayers grow up continually as sweet incense and are received by God who is pleased with them in Christ and responding to them and carrying out all his holy will. Praise God. Let's pray. Oh, our Father. What glory, what joy it is to belong to you, to belong to you through your son, our Lord Jesus, by the help of your spirit, how much there is of the goodness of being your people, of being atoned for, of being justified, of having your favor, of having your ear how much there is that we have barely scratched the surface of and we learn and we study and we hear and we think and we meditate. And what we find is you are ever more worthy of our full trust. You are ever more worthy of our overflowing praise. And we bless your name and we ask that the work would continue by your Holy Spirit. Even in the name that our Lord himself gave us by which to come to you, the name Jesus. Amen.